Welcome to AAF District Forecast, the show that puts you in touch with advertising leaders, emerging talent, and industry news from across Florida and the Caribbean. And now, here are your hosts, John Ruff and Communications Co-Chair, Jacob Edenfield. Welcome to a special edition of the AAF District Forecast. I'm your host, immediate past governor, John Ruff. This year, our current governor, G. Williams, has completely revamped the way our conferences work, and we're super excited about it. We're bringing more professional development to the conferences, and since these speakers are so amazing, we decided to interview them afterwards. Here's interview one. So I'm here in Gainesville, Florida, at the Voice of Advertising Summit, powered by AAF District 4, and I just had the pleasure of watching Sarah Isaac uh, present to us. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. So glad to be here. So you are the Director of Strategy and Planning at Marketing with a Change. Tell us about that. Um, So Marketing for Change is um, a mid-sized boutique agency. Um, We are uh, full service, um, but our our focus is on behavior change. So most of our clients are uh, government nonprofit, uh, some corporations, but most of them are looking to get people to do something that's good for them and good for society. Where are you located? Uh, the Marketing for Change is based in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, we have offices in Orlando and a hub in Denver, and I'm based in the Orlando office. Awesome. How long have you been there? I've been at Marketing for Change for 15 years. Wow. That's fantastic. Where were you before? I was a journalist for a number of years. So I worked at the Orlando Sentinel. So tell us a little bit about uh, behavioral change marketing and how that's different from regular marketing. So with regular marketing, you have the advantage that most of the time you're selling something, a product or a service that people actually want. But when it comes to behavior change marketing, most of our clients are trying to sell things that people are not doing. So that's something like eating better or getting exercise or doing something that's pro-environment, or saving for the future. So all of these things are behaviors that many people say they want to do and maybe even think they want to do, but in the moment of choice, that hamburger looks awfully good. (laughs) Of course it does. And let's talk about choice because you actually brought up something really interesting is that people want choice, but if you give them too much choice, they shut down, right? Analysis paralysis. Yes, uh, information overload. Um, so yeah, just like toddlers, people like choice. Um, if you give them a choice of things they can do, they're more likely to find something, uh, that, that helps them customize a product or a service or something they want to do for them. Um, the problem is when you give people too much choice and then it requires them to make decisions, um, and sit down. And for example, one of the, one of the examples I did, I talked about today, when it comes to, for example, offering 401ks in your company, if you look to rational economics, the, the, the idea that people uh, always are looking to advance utility, this means that more choice is always better. And for a long time, we treated it that way. Um, but as many marketers know, for when they're selling a product or services, sometimes a fewer products is better. Um, or giving people a way to quickly filter to what they want. When you give people too much choice, it becomes too big of a decision, and then it becomes something that they'll decide and think about tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. Right. Yeah, I heard the other day that on average we make about 35,000 decisions a day. Yes, and I'm going to just nerd out a little bit on behavioral science. I'm going to talk about uh, the uh, dual theory process of the mind, um, sometimes called system one, system two. This is the basis of behavioral economics. You may have heard of nudging. Um, It it was a book made popular by Richard Thaler. 
Um, but system one and system two is two different ways our brains work. System one is the part of your brain that we share with all other living creatures. Uh, that's the flight or fight response. It's the thing that when you're driving to on a Saturday, um, not meaning to go to work, but you start daydreaming about something and then you end up um, in the parking lot going, why am I here? So there's this automatic part of your mind that can say two times two is four without thinking about it. And then there's this other slower rational part of our mind, uh, which is system two, which is logical. It's the later development in our brain. Um, and it is the broader part of your brain that can do 222 times 222 is, I don't know, I got to get a calculator. Um, but the problem with behavior change marketing is that, and, and anytime we're asking people to do something that's for the common good, is we speak to that system too. And we start telling them logically why they should do something. As marketers, you know that emotion drives so many decisions. And so when we are helping people uh, market behaviors that maybe people don't really want to do right at the first, uh, we've helped them not think so much about system two, telling them all the things that they should know about a behavior, but instead reaching need states and pain points that make them want to do it. That's really interesting. And I was thinking about what you said, um, you know, when you give people, you know, too much choice or, or you were talking about, you know, the getting people to vote overseas, right? And you had all this information. How do you, how do you break it down to a client that says, hey, we need to give them all this information? And you're like, whoa, 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 slow down. Let's, let's, let's simplify this. How do you do that? Um, that's a great question. We have a process um, where we uh, first do a discovery. I'm sure most, most marketing agencies do that, look at a landscape analysis. But we apply a behavioral determinants framework where we look to see what the likely drivers of behavior are that aren't just giving people more information. So it's things like are social norms at, at play? Is a sense of control at play? Is too much choice or not enough choice at play? Um, and then... Uh, hopefully we can do some testing to show that when we narrow these choices or we narrow these these messages about what we're asking people to do, um, that you're more likely to get uptake by your audience. So when it comes to behavior and behavior change, where does traditional marketing miss the mark? So that's a great question. Professional marketers are so good at what they do, and but they're selling a product that people want um, and they're or a service, and, and then they're trying to package it as, as best they can um, to reach people's need states and answer their pain points. But when it comes to marketing behaviors, professional marketers tend to fall into this, well, it's good. And often people say it's good or they say they want to do it. Um, their market research might show, yes, I want to lose weight. Uh, yes, I want to exercise more. Yes, I want to save more for the future. Yes, I want to buy green products. But behavioral science knows that if you follow those people who say they intend to do a behavior like that, when that behavior is kind of hard, doesn't have the immediate rewards, what we call hedonic uh, rewards, like it's fun to buy something, it tastes good to eat a hamburger, it's great to drive a fast car and have people look at you like you're really cool, right? But so it, those in those moments of decision-making, those hedonic goals can come into play. So what happens, let's just take green marketing um, and an example of Nike. So Nike wanted to be sustainable and in 2005 launched a brand of shoes called Considered. Uh, and it people say they want to support the environment and most people do. But Considered, 
the marketers, the very smart marketers who created this brand said, this is a sustainable shoe. So we need to show people how sustainable it is. So we're going to make it look like the 1970s. So it was kind of earth tones and it was, I don't know, it just looked like what critics called a hobbit shoe. They were called the Air Hobbits, $110 Air Hobbits. They tanked in a year because Nike customers support sustainability, but they're looking for a high-tech performance brand. And so Nike didn't stop its commitment to sustainability, but it stopped trying to sell its shoes through sustainability. Um, a better example on the flip side is Tesla. So Tesla's a green product, but and it does talk about it's green, but if you go on Tesla's website, it is a performance car. You're seeing a really cool car that looks like I would be really cool if I drive it. Oh, and it happens to be green. So it's remembering that in that moment of decision, people's broad desire to do good in the world often gets hijacked by what do I want to do right now? Or even my smaller desire to lose weight gets hijacked by that cookie. So the weight loss app Noom, they are all about psychology. And they ask you, why do you want to lose weight? You know, and then they ask you again later on, why do you really want to lose weight? So you get that first decision where like, well, I want to lose weight because I want to look good. I want to be healthy. But really, I want to live longer for my family. That's the real deep desire goal. How, how often do you see that in, in, in your marketing with change and behavior change? Yeah, that's a really smart example of laddering, um, which is a long-used marketing technique where you're trying to get at the higher order values uh, that drive decision-making. So one of the most interesting things about behavioral science, and the reason I love it, is because the more we understand about human decision-making, the more we understand how little of it is driven by logic, A, um, and B, how little little we understand ourselves what choices we're going to make. So humans are the worst beings in the world of predicting their behavior. And the best way to predict a person's behavior is by looking at their past behavior. So when people are trying to change a behavior, it's very difficult. There are things that can help from behavioral science, like habits. And in terms of this, that's laddering to a higher value and making sure that their messaging is reminding you of your higher value. Um, and so instead of reminding you that you're it's something that you shouldn't do, there's a really interesting study that showed, it was actually a, a behavioral science study looking at the brain, that when you have a decision that turns from a want into a should, the pathways in your brain actually change. And we're just such interesting creatures because part of us wants to maybe lose weight, for example, but then when we think that we should do it or we shouldn't have that cookie, the part of your brain that works around those restrictions kicks into play. And so we end up undermining our own selves and that's where behavioral science can actually help through an app like Noom, which is using behavioral science to help you get to where you want to go. Let's talk logic versus emotion. So logically, we know we should be doing something a certain way, but emotionally, yeah, that might tell a different story. So I talked a little bit about the dual theory of the mind, which actually goes all the way back to Aristotle um, and was popularized by Thinking Fast and Slow, which won the prize for Nobel, uh, the Nobel Prize for Behavioral Economics, um, written by Daniel Kahneman. So thinking fast and slow shows through a number of experiments that there are these two different systems of our brain that are making decisions. And system one is fast, it's helpful, um, it's sometimes biased, and it's driven by emotion. But we are, as creatures, think we are illogical. It's why people hated the name of the book, predictably 
predictably irrational by Dan Ariely, another behavioral scientist, because they're like, I'm not irrational, because irrational has a pejorative term. And I won't get into it, but actually for human beings, sometimes it's rational to be irrational. For example, if you need to fit in, you might need to do what the group wants you to do, which might be irrational, but it's rational because you need to fit in. (laughs) So, but to make a long story short, emotions, as marketers know, drive most decisions. You're not creating an ad that says, we sell the best bubbly sugar water that's a little overpriced and actually it's got diabetes problems wrapped into it, or we sell a really flabby hamburger, but it's cheap. They're selling Coke Ad's life or it's a happy meal. So marketers do this with good instincts all the time. But when it comes to changing behavior, they fall into the trap that people tell them, well, I want to lose weight. And they say, well, here's the things that you should do. Well, Sarah, this has been really eye-opening. Thank you so much for coming to our conference and speaking to our, our members and our volunteers. Um, if any of our audience wants to get a hold of you, how would they do so? Um, they can uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm Sarah Isaac FL, um, and uh, very easy to find there. Just search Sarah Isaac in behavioral science. I'll also give you my email, which is a little harder. It's sarah.isaac at forchange.agency. That's S-A-R-A dot I-S-A-A-C at forchange spelled out, F-O-R-C-H-A-N-G dot agency. Um, one more question. Give us... Give us two or three books we should be reading. So I would really recommend Thinking Fast and Slow, but I'm going to let you know that the first time I tried to read it, I failed. It is very (laughs) thick and dense. Okay. Uh, But there's another book called The Undoing Project, which is by Michael Lewis, and it's the story of the the friendship between Amos Tversky and Danny Kahneman, who are the founders of behavioral economics. And there's the first part of the beginning that's kind of around baseball that may introduce many in the listening here, but didn't introduce me. But once I got in the story of their friendship and how much fun they had poking fun at rational economics and the way that we look at the world and showing that actually people don't behave the way we say they do or the way they think they do, um, it's, a, it's a lovely book and a great introduction to behavioral economics. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for listening. And tune in next time for What's New in District 4. 